So while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up and knelt before him and touched the friends of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a great commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl rose. And the report of this went through the district. You may be seated. As I read the story, this is a pretty hard way to start a message. Um, I couldn't get out of my head years ago, just the beginning years of my high school, um, got called over from the bar. I need to pray. I need to pray. God, um, would you help me? I picture my daughter and I picture the tragedies of life, and it's not easy. They're not just stories, but your word is powerful, and it has reverberating power application to today and hope for the future. Would you sober our minds? Awaken in us, quicken us, God. Your spirit is at work. Be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my dad called us all in, and he was sitting in the chair, and us three boys were sitting around him, and he says, your brother died. And I have a pretty bad memory, but you can't, you can't shake those memories, can you? When those that you love closely are ripped from you. I'm not getting him back. And, and so I, I imagine this, this ruler, um, authority, power means nothing, does it, when you're face-to-face with death. It doesn't matter if you're the president or a peasant. It matters nothing because life can be so cruel. And with the cruelty of, cruelty of life, it's a very dangerous thing to be a wise person. 
full of questions, full of curiosity, wanting to put all the pieces together. It's a very dangerous type of person to be. But I'm that person. My mom knows that. I'm that person. God bless her for putting up with so much. Why? Why? Why this? Why this? But I wanted to understand. I wanted to know. I wanted life to make sense. Why the rules? I'm still trying to figure them out. But as my daughter's going to grow up, I know that I'm going to get those questions too. But God knows what those questions are like. Because I know that many, probably all of us in this room have asked the why question to God. And God put himself on the line by creating this world, by allowing sin and death to just run rampant, and for us to get caught in the crossfires. My brother was literally caught in the crossfires of war. But none of us, not one single person in this room is exempt from the crossfires of sin and death. And we look up to the creator of this whole world and we, and we wonder why. And if cynicism gets enough in your heart, it can turn you away. You hear of stories of Christians who have become embittered by life. And they just can't handle it anymore. So something has to give. Like they're, they're about to explode. And so they just give up on faith. And, th and they ask, well, if this is the kind of world that God creates, then he must be terrible at his job. And they, they just can't put it together because their heart is about to explode. And they can't handle all the pieces not fitting together. So I imagine this ruler and I imagine this woman in the desperation of life because life has taken something precious from them. For the man, someone precious to him. For the woman, she doesn't even belong. She can't even participate. And we are struck, each one of us, by this brutality Suffering is indiscriminate, is it not? It, it cares not that you love this person. It cares not that you want to live a life of normalcy. Food loses its taste. Joy and laughter seem just out of place. And we, we just ask this question up to heaven. Do you care? Because if you cared, you would do something about it, surely, right? Wouldn't we do something, everything for our children? And are we not children of God? So what is he doing? I want to draw these things out of our hearts because I think some of us, we push this question deep down because we think by asking it, we're going to blaspheme against God. But scripture gives us license throughout all the Psalms to ask these questions to God, to seek the book of Job, again, chapter after chapter, circling about this whirlwind of chaos. God, why? God, why? Why? But Job never loses his faith. Because he's like Peter. When all the other people turn away, and Jesus turns and he asks them, will you now too leave? Where else would I go? I was talking to 
to, I was talking to a German friend um, last week, going through a very difficult time in his life, a lot of doubts. Can't imagine living in some of those European countries when all you're surrounded with is secular thinking. Oh, abandon God. If the answer is just so readily, abandon him. He's not good at it anyway. He must not even be real. But he can't. Like Peter, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to grab a hold of? I want us to grab a hold of something this morning. Because this, this question, though it's going to always elude us, though there's always going to be pieces that don't seem to fit together, and especially if the pain of suffering is erupting inside of you emotionally, the pieces don't even matter. You don't care about the intellectual question because you're too full of grief. So I, I want to I ask if there's a, not, not as a response, but answer this in your own heart. Where do you come this morning? What type of heart do you carry? I thought of five. Are you bitter? Are you just undone and don't even have ability to process? Are you one who's holding your breath? Like you want all the pieces to fit together. You want to stay honoring to God, but you don't know how to breathe. So you're just trying to make it to the end. Are you someone who's standing strong, who has been through difficult times, but have have been able to say in your heart, though I am sorrowful, though I am filled with sorrow, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will trust in him. Or are you someone who's smooth sailing? Just this past week, you know, I'm in campus ministry and I interact with a lot of young people who, some of them have faced more tragedy than I have, but some of them haven't faced any. And so they don't quite understand what suffering is like. And, and uh, through the years, I've always kind of wondered why older people tend to be more fearful than younger people. And it's because people who have been through life have experienced tragedy, unexpected and expectant, and they know how dangerous life is. And those who are young who maybe haven't experienced it, haven't seen it, haven't seen life indiscriminately tear something from them, there's like this ignorance is bliss. And as I've gone through the years, I start to think about fear. I start to think about possibilities. I start to think about what if. Because I've seen the what ifs become real. But I want us to hold on to something. And as we read in today's passage, it's going to be hard in some ways because we see these two healings take place and we want that for our own lives. But I want to, I want to press us into these three anchor points, okay? And if, if you're, there's going to be one that you're, I'm assuming, okay, I'm just going to assume that many of us in this room are going to be a little bit uncomfortable with but I can't let it go. God has spoken too strongly to me. It's too clear in scripture. And I want you to consider. So here's the one, th- here's the one sentence that I want you to take away. Okay? 
To your question, does heaven care? I have a statement. Heaven cares, has a cure. And I want you to believe that he came. I want you to hope in his return. And I want you to live as though he never left. Okay? I want you to believe that he came. I want you to hope in his return. And I want you to live as though he never left. There may be one of those that you're going to need to grab a hold of more strongly than ever. And it may be the, the singular cure that you need to stand strong, especially if you face bitterness or holding your breath. So, so here, are, here we are in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have the Bible open, um, we're looking look at a little bit of the context here in Matthew 8 through 10. And we're going to be jumping around a little bit. I have the passages I'm going to read, so don't worry about flipping all the way through if you don't want to. But if you're good at navigating through the Bible and you like to try to follow along with the preacher, then feel free. So this section that we're, that we're going through begins in chapter 8. And it goes through chapter 9. And there are a series of nine stories interjected by Jesus' dialogue. So there's a set of three stories. So if you're looking with me in, in Matthew chapter 8, you have the, the cleansing of a leper, the, the faith in Jesus healing the centurion's um, servant. Jesus heals many people, including um, Peter's mother, mother-in-law, and then he gives this interjection. Um, I'm doing a lot of great stuff, doing a lot of great stuff, doing a lot of great stuff. Boom, I want you to understand the cost. Jesus starts again in, in chapter 8, verse 23, and he calms a storm, then he heals um, men from demon possession, then he heals a paralytic. Three again. And then he does another dialogue of follow me, follow me, this is the cost, this is what it means to follow me. And then he heals the the two people today that we're talking about, then he heals two blind men, then he heals a mute person. And then again, he goes off talking about the kingdom work. And what he wants us to see here, Jesus bringing the kingdom, what he wants us to see is that he wants to restore the world. He wants to show us how much he cares, how much God cares. But he wants us to see something that there is a mission that's involved in this, that involves more than just himself waving his wand on a few spots on the earth. But he's asking for participation, and he's showing them what this is going to involve for others, for you, for me. We're 2,000 years after Jesus, and we're still reading his words because he wanted to, it to move forward. What he's showing is that these healings of this daughter and of this woman with a discharge of blood, he's showing that these healings are are not random. Okay? Every healing, every sign, every miracle, every great display of power 
is meaningless if it doesn't have something behind it. It's just random occurrence. But Jesus' teachings, what Jesus is showing them and what he's proposing is now being validated by the healing. Does this make sense? It's not just you see some person over there in the ground and all of a sudden they spring up and they start walking. Jesus says, I have come to bring the kingdom of God here on this earth. Rise up and walk. Showing you and validating what he just spoke. The king cares. The kingdom cares. Because this isn't just a moment. This isn't just a story. This is for today. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing the created order back to the intentions of the created order. This is heaven coming to invade the earth. See, I've always, I've struggled, and I still struggle. I don't have it all figured out. Like, why does suffering so rampant? And I think many of us, we have a piece, and we have pieces maybe of the answer, but we don't quite fully know how to bring it together to have any coherence and make any sense of it. I want to actually read a passage I wasn't planning on, but it's in Romans chapter 1. So if you want to flip there, fine. I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of breeze a little bit through here. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would someone say that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel, good news, right? I'm not ashamed of the good news. If you, if you think about what people want, what would be really good for people? Everyone wants an end to suffering. Everyone wants life to be restored. That's what the disciples wanted all the way through. They expected it. All the way until Jesus left and went back to heaven, they were still asking the question, are you going to now restore the kingdom? Are you now going to restore the earth? And they were disappointed. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news, the way that God made this work, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jump down to verse 18, because look, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Verse 21, they knew God. We all knew God, but we did not honor him or give thanks to him. And we, verse 23, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26, therefore God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And verse 28, and since they did not fit, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Do you see what's happening? This theme, again, these cycles. God gave us up to the things that we wanted. And because we wanted them even more, they didn't satisfy us, so we chased after them even more. And so therefore, God gave, the, get, get, he gave us up to them. 
We chose sin, Genesis 3. We chose it. And we didn't just choose it for ourselves. We chose it for our loved ones. Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin, they took humanity, everyone to follow with them. And we all signed up. We all said, yes, this is how we want to live apart from God. Therefore, God gave us to it. He said, this is your choice. But what, I saw, what we saw in the beginning, that God did not leave us this way. That God has a, a good news. He has a good plan. He hates sin. He hates death. He hates suffering more than you and I do because we chose it. Did we not? We all chose to live apart from God. But God in his mercy pursued after us. And that's what we read today. Jesus came to earth in the midst of suffering to pursue us. And as he comes to this earth and he's walking in the midst of suffering and broken people, his heart as God is just bursting forth with compassion. See, this is not the way life is supposed to be. And he does something about it. See, we get frustrated because God doesn't fix everything. What Jesus is saying is everything will be fixed in the kingdom. The kingdom fixes everything when the kingdom is here. But there's, there's stages. There's installments. As I was talking with Kayla, my wife, about this yesterday, we thought of a good analogy. It's like a movie. So as a movie comes out, and I, I love all the Marvel movies. I can't talk about it because all the spoilers, all that kind of stuff. But there's, um, there's movie trailers, right? There's movie previews, like sneak peek previews. And it gets you excited, right? Like there's this, this movie that's coming out, and you're so excited to see it. And so the trailer comes out. And like right when the trailer comes out, maybe I'm not speaking to everyone here, but something really exciting, you, you want to watch that trailer, that preview to the movie that's coming out. And you start to see glimpses and tastes of what the movie is going to be like. And maybe some of the plot and some of the characters. And you start getting hyped up about it. And you want to go see the movie. This is exactly what's happening with Jesus' life. He came to give a preview, a trailer, for what kingdom is going to be like in heaven. When heaven fully comes, when the movie comes, when the kingdom finally comes, it's going to be great. No more sickness, no more tears. No more suffering. It's going to be like that. But right now is not that fullness. But it doesn't mean we don't have hope. And it doesn't mean that we're just left to hold our breath. Because where does this leave us? Because if these are just stories that we read about, then people of the earth could find more intriguing stories. More detailed, colorful, long, entertaining. But these aren't stories that we read, are they? Not just stories. These are real. And they weren't just real 2,000 years ago, but they are real for us today. So what, do they, what does this story have to speak to us today? There are three major movements, three anchors that I said I want us to link to today, okay? There's the, there's the anchor that we must believe 
that he came. The cure, right? Jesus, the cure. We have to believe that he came, that he did these things, that he came as a sacrifice for our our sin and suffering and death. He came to trade places with us, and he came that we might have life and forgiveness and a restored relationship to the Father. He wants us to believe that he came. Anchor two, he wants us to believe that he's yet coming again. This fullness of the kingdom. Think with me, imagine this scene in Revelation 21. He says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. In Matthew 24, as Jesus is talking about the end days, the last times, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. Then that end, that hope, that excitement, that anticipation that you want, it's going to come. And he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, all the tears that I shed afresh for the loss of my brother. He's going to wipe those tears away. But there is a hope. And this is what I want us to grab a hold of as well. There is an expectation and a hope that the kingdom is here, right now, in 2019. God did not just come, leave, and then come back some other day and expect us to just figure this out all on our own. Live it on our own strength and our own power. He wants us to experience it today. So as much as we need to believe upon the past and hope for the future, we need to live as though he never left because he left us with his spirit. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? He left us with his spirit. Like, I was not a Christian for 18 years. Then I became a Christian. Meaning, at that point, that moment where I became a Christian, I, I pledge allegiance to the Messiah. He is my hope. He is my future. He is my everything. At this moment in time, God puts his spirit inside of me to do something. Like, not just, that's a really nice idea. But imagine this. Imagine I'm like your best friend, okay? And we've been walking through life all together for all these years. And I, and I tell you, look, Susan, I don't know if there's any Susans here. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, Susan, I'm, I'm going away. You know, I'm going to miss you. But don't worry. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. You'd be like, what have you been doing? You've been uh, doing drugs? 
Like, what, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? I'm going to put my spirit inside of you so that you're going you're gonna to know what I'm thinking. I can talk to you in your head. And I'm going to, like, take your power levels and just raise them through the roof. So you're going to be able to do things that you were not able to accomplish before on your own. And so what it means to live this Christian life is to live out the power and the fruit of Jesus. All the characteristics, all the qualities of Jesus, all of his abilities, you could call them superpowers, okay? He now infuses them into us. He gave us his spirit. This is uber, uber significant. Because we wonder where God is at. We wonder what he's up to. We wonder if he cares. But Jesus' body is still on the earth, and it's us. We are his body. We are his church. Think with me at the end of chapter 9. After Jesus accomplishes all these miraculous things, this shotgun of nine miraculous healings and restorations, and Jesus says, well, he, the narrator says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming. God cares, and he's doing something. And what he do? He healed every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Don't you think that kind of looks like today? Like we're like helpless sheep just being slaughtered by life. And he said to his disciples, look, this is key. This is what the world is like. I came to bring hope to the world and to bring the kingdom to this earth. And this world is a mess. The harvest, therefore he says the harvest is plentiful. This world is like ripe for the picking. But the laborers are few. Not God, it's not about God being insufficient, not about God being too small. He's saying the plan of God is for laborers. In 2019, the answer of God to this world is laborers. And they're few. And sadly, they're still too few. And so therefore, this prayer is for today. Earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to himself his 12 disciples and gave them. Okay? Jesus, remember at the end of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Okay? Therefore, go. And in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 10, it fills this out a little bit more. It says, he gave them authority. Okay? He gave them authority. This is a this is a trailer of the trailer. Okay? Matthew 28, the Great Commission is about Jesus releasing his people into the earth, full of what he has, full of himself. In verse, in verse 1 of chapter 10, it's like a preview of that. And he's sending them out among the cities of the of the land of Israel. And he gave them authority of Read this, over unclean spirits to cast them out. So someone who is oppressed and possessed by a demon. These people 
who were fishermen and carpenters and baked bread every day, now they can go out and cast demons out of people. Like, by the authority vested in me, I pronounce you clean. And what else? To heal every disease and every affliction. Healing people. These people healed people by laying their hands on them and say, be clean, be healed, rise up and walk. In verse 8, verse 7 and 8, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not just random occurrences, fireworks in the air. It's a proclamation of the kingdom coming. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. You probably missed that. In your, I've missed it all the, all the years I've been reading scripture. He just tells his disciples, raise the dead. Raise the, it's, not, it's not just Jesus coming to do these things. He empowers his disciples to do it. Cast out demons. Cleanse the, cleanse the lepers. I want you to do this, he says. I want to read a passage as we're coming to the close here. A passage that struck me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Okay. When I read this, I want you to remember back okay, to chapter 9. What are we supposed to do earnestly? In chapter 9, it says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field, right? Like, what, imagine that you're on your knees. God, please. This city is just full of people who don't love you, who don't even know you. And I look at the church today, and I don't see people living out their faith. God, raise up people in big rapids, to be bold witnesses to your glory, to your kingdom, that love you boldly enough to share and to say something about it. Right? That's, a, that's an earnest prayer, not just going through the motions, not just saying some recited thing, not just falling asleep in prayer. This is you're sweating in prayer. This is you going after it. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it says, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All the spiritual gifts. Okay, pursue love. Make your whole life about pursuing after love. But as you do that, as you live out your life, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, which includes all the giftings that Jesus gave his disciples. Healing diseases, raising the dead, and he's also mentioning here in 1 Corinthians, prophecy, that's proclaiming words that God gives to us. Like in the family, family times, as, right before this message. Per, the, huh? Yeah, the, this 10-minute section before the message, right? Times for people to share. What, what's being proposed here is that people would have prophetic words from God, from the week, from just like as you walk in, God illuminates your mind to speak something forth. Like, 
I believe that maybe God spoke to me that there's someone here who maybe has a knee issue or a family issue or God, I think, spoke to me that he wants to share with, you know, Susan that God sees your affliction and he knows about it and he loves you deeply and he's going to strengthen you through it. Just some, God brings to mind something for the body because Jesus is still here. If Jesus were here, that's the kind of stuff that he would be doing, right? Well, Jesus is still here. His spirit, his spirit is amidst us. And he wants the kingdom in this room to just be synonymous. Everything that would happen in heaven is supposed to, and Jesus wants to happen here. And he wants spontaneous, random seemingly random, powerful, and loving actions given through his body. So every question that I ask God, oh, why? I don't throw my fist to heaven, but I cry out. When it sounds, it kind of feels like I throw my fist to heaven. Why? God, Where are you? I'm earnestly seeking you, and I wonder if the land that I'm living is a dry and arid land full of people who don't really expect you to show up and do anything. And it grieves my heart because the church that I see in the New Testament is not very much the church that I see today. Maybe people have given up on God. Maybe they've lowered their expectations of what God can do on this earth today because they've been so deeply disappointed. That if they think if they get their expectations a little too high, they'll just be disappointed. And you will. Because not all your expectations will be met perfectly. And you will receive a little bit of disappointment. We have to step out. We can't keep hiding in our shells. Keeping safe. God wants to move through us because he cares too much about the world to let it rot. We must believe and live as though he never left. So if you're bitter this morning, or you're holding your breath, and you're struggling to keep up in your walk with God, I want you to know that God deeply, deeply cares. He showed it, In the person of Jesus. He will fulfill it. Think about this. In heaven right now. There's Christians crying out. In heaven. They're crying out still. How long, oh Lord? How long? They're waiting. We're all waiting. And we all want it to come. But in the meantime, we're not supposed to hold our breath. Maybe God would like to heal. Maybe he would like to speak directly to you a word. We just have to be willing to pray, desire, expect, long, give God that space to do that. I think he is desperate to do more in our midst. Heaven cares. Jesus showed it. But he also commissioned us to live it. Make sense?
So I want us to believe that he came. I want us to hope in his return, but I want us to live as though he never left. We need to do it together. Let me pray for us. God, I have been undone so many moments in my life. I just don't know how it's all going to fit together. So much doesn't make sense, and I wish that everyone was healed. I wish that you would just say yes every single moment that I ever prayed for someone to be healed. But I know that you want to bear witness, and I I know that you want us to pursue and desire, and I know that there's maybe people, some of us in this room, that you've gifted in unique ways to see those things happen. So I pray in faith that you'd raise up laborers for the harvest. I pray in faith that you would show us in mercy the next step of obedience to take in faith after reading an amazing passage like this. You know us, God. You know our frame. You know our weakness. Be merciful and gracious with us. Jesus, would you pour out your spirit upon this place today? Pour out your spirit. Give hope. Give confidence. Give us power to live out what you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.